Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at choosewood.com. Welcome to St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. Whether natural, as with flooding or earthquake, or man-made, like war, disaster brings destruction. Immediate response addresses basic needs, first aid, food, shelter. What we can see and touch takes top priority for good reason. But as the dust settles and physical wounds start to heal, people are left with the intangible, those pieces of their worlds and themselves they've lost and carry. Beyond staying alive, surviving crisis leaves injuries that can only be treated by specialized counseling that often begins with someone who simply listens. Suzanne Galvin is an STL resident who's recently traveled to Poland and Ukraine to volunteer her listening skills. With the support of the local nonprofit Ukraine Partnership Foundation, Suzanne and her husband, both attorneys here in St. Louis, also helped train crisis counselors and pastors at the Ukrainian Theological Seminary. Here to talk about what took her to Lviv and Zori, and how she utilized her FEMA crisis counseling training to aid refugees from the Russian invasion of Ukraine, we have Suzanne Galvin, a current board member. She serves as a board member of the Ukraine Partnership Foundation and a partner at Thompson Coburn. Suzanne, welcome to the program. Thank you, Elaine. Now, before we talk about the time you spent in Ukraine and Poland, let's take a step back. You've provided crisis counseling across the U.S. and abroad. How did you get involved in crisis counseling work? Well, 15 or so years ago, my husband and I, we saw the headlines when Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans. And I think a lot of us wanted to help. And at the same time, we learned that there was an opportunity to be trained because FEMA really recognized after that crisis that people needed emotional and spiritual care, and they offered training. And so my husband and I signed up and became trained about 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. And how and when did you arrive at that FEMA crisis counseling, the the training? So you, you mentioned that there was a I guess, a call for people to to be trained in that way. Like, Where did you go and, and how did the training happen? We actually went to Asheville, North Carolina for the first training. And we went there almost yearly for several years to, until we were fully certified and um, received training and um, began to be deployed then once we had enough training. Mm-hmm. And what did the training involve? Um, All kinds of coursework, uh, learning about uh, what is normal reaction to trauma, what is trauma, what is a normal reaction to trauma look like, and um, how can you help someone process trauma. We're not professional counselors. We are like the triage nurses who listen to the stories and determine if the person is processing what they're seeing normally. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned Katrina, Hurricane Katrina is the thing that sort of got you thinking about doing this kind of work. In the 15 years that you have been doing this, where have you gone? Well, we've been deployed all over the U.S. to natural and man-made disasters, um, some civil unrest, hurricanes, tornadoes, and then um, 
abroad as well when the earthquake struck Haiti. Um, we've also been to Iraq to minister to the women and children who had been held captive by ISIS. And those trips and those experiences, um, what was it about them that has kept you going? Um, it's an incredible honor to feel as though you can assist or help someone in need. Um, I think of Isaiah 58, where it says, you should feed the hungry and help those who are hurting. And I feel like it's a call that um, authentic Christianity would do. Mm -hmm. Now, where and how do you find the time to do this kind of work? You have done it with your husband. You work as attorneys. Like, How does the, the scheduling go? Well, we've been fortunate to work with partners and those who support us in this endeavor and our family who has supported us through this process. And when we, we take a week or two and go, um, it is a little bit, uh, that's our vacation, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> but it's so rewarding, it's worthwhile. So you decided to travel to Ukraine and to refugee camps in Poland. It sounds like it was a, a natural decision for you and your husband. What was the exact moment or, or what was sort of happening when you and he decided to make those travel plans? Well, um, the Ukrainian Partnership Foundation is actually based here in Chesterfield, Missouri. And my husband and I had a number of friends who were talking about UBTS and what the seminary was doing as the invasion began, how they were responding to the refugees. And we knew that our training might be something that would assist. Um, so when we were invited by UBTS to join the team that was going in April following the invasion, we said yes. And um, we were able to go assist and train the team there. Mm -hmm. And what was that first trip like? As I understand, you went a couple times. What was the April visit? Um, what did that involve? And what did you see there? Well, Lviv is a beautiful city. It is like an old uh, European city, tree-lined streets with cobblestone. Um, the people are just lovely. They're warm and inviting. They were thrilled to see that people would come and care and help. Um, and the they had turned the seminary UBTS had turned their classrooms into refugee centers. There were mattresses on the floor for all the refugees, mostly women and children, who were leaving everything they knew. It's hard for us to imagine a tank coming down our street and you have to leave with just a suitcase. Mm -hmm. And um, they had turned the seminary into a refugee center. So we were there to help the leaders of the seminary um, deal with the crisis and the trauma counseling. Mm -hmm. And then you had a more recent trip there. Yes, we went back again in October, and the children had returned to Lviv. It was a beautiful setting in the fall. It was a very peaceful time. Um, um, unfortunately, the uh, Russians began missile strikes again shortly after we left. But um, while we were there in October, it was peaceful. Mm -hmm. And did you notice any changes in the people you were seeing between April and the, the fall visit, 
um, did it seem like some of, of the work that you had been able to help with um, had had some effect? Well, one of the main messages in the April trip was how to help others effectively deal with trauma, but it also was take care of yourself. Because when you're experiencing a war or a trauma or a storm, we tend to care for others and not take care of ourselves. And I think by October, we were able to see that the leadership was taking care of themselves a bit more. Mm -hmm. And how are they doing that? Well, it takes um, a concerted effort because they are certainly um, dedicated and giving and caring um, they have s- returned um, to classes. Their students are back. And so a little bit of normalcy has settled in. They are no longer a refugee center. They are now um, conducting classes and serving as a beacon in that they are behaving normally even though the war is going on. It's a very important thing for the students to have this sense of normalcy. Mm-hmm. And sometimes normalcy is the, the biggest gift that you can have, right? What is one of your most memorable moments from your time in Poland and Ukraine? Um, hmm. and what, what are some of the stories that are related to the people that you got to interact with? Well, for me personally, one of the things that mattered the most was on our April trip when the translator, we were teaching Uh, some of the women and children in Poland, what normal reaction to trauma is. It's okay if you lose your car keys or can't remember your phone number. That's a normal reaction to an abnormal event. Um, And as we were explaining things that are normal reactions, the translator got tears in her eyes and turned and looked at us and said, I am so thankful I'm normal. So then working with translators is obviously something that you've had to, to do. Um, what is that relationship like you know, to, to be with another person who's serving as a, as a mediator um, as you're, you're attempting to you know, do what you can to help another person? It's a wonderful uh, unifying experience when they share your vision and your message and they can convey it in their language and you see them being affected by uh, the message. Uh, We have a great story in Texas where a gentleman was translating some of the scriptures for us and he turned to us and said, we were talking to the other person and he turned to us and said, is this for me too? (laughs) Uh Yeah, definitely, the messenger as well. Uh, And how do you go about training people you know, and what kind of reaction do you get from them as you are uh, as you are offering these lessons? So the training in April was focused on the leadership of UBTS. We were telling them what's a normal reaction, what to say, what not to say to someone in trauma. And as your introduction explained, so often it's just learning to listen mm-hmm. and be a compassionate listening person. Are there really practical tips that you give to people about how to do that listening? It's important to learn to listen. We encourage them to listen. And then um, we call it the presence in crisis. If you are a stable, calm presence in crisis, then 
that person is so, uh, it's actually been clinically proven that they heal if they're able to tell their story of the trauma mm-hmm. to a neutral third party. It helps them to heal. Right. And that neutral third party, I think, is an interesting part of, of this, someone who has a remove in some way. We are going to take a quick break here, but we'll be back shortly to continue this conversation. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. Now, back to our conversation with Suzanne Galvin, who recently spent 11 days in Poland and Ukraine, providing crisis counseling to refugees from the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Now, before the break, Suzanne, we had talked about um, how you train people to listen um, and to be there as a as the third party. And uh, you also mentioned a couple of passages uh, from the Bible. Um, you made it to Ukraine with the help of the Ukraine Partnership Foundation, and that is a, the nonprofit that is based here in Chesterfield, in the St. Louis area, uh, and the Ukrainian Baptist Theological Seminary. Now, faith obviously has played an important role in your crisis counseling training and its practice. How does that, your faith, um, how does it play out in your interactions with people? And I'm thinking very specifically here about the missional part of the seminary's values, um, which has to do with unbelievers and believers. So tell us about it. Thank you, Elaine. Great question. Um, the faith is really what motivates us to do what we do because we believe that authentic Christianity tells us to, as we said, feed the hungry and house the wanderers. Um, And so as we are meeting with people and hearing their story and listening to their story, uh, that we often at the end ask, can I pray for you? And I can count on one hand the number of times people have said no. Not everybody we meet with is necessarily a Christian, but they welcome the prayer and the um, authenticity that it is offered in to be helping someone in need, in Mm -hmm. their time of need. And there's an old expression, there are no atheists in the foxhole. Um, Certainly... The people in Ukraine are thinking about faith issues right now um, as the tanks invade and as the Russians invade. Mm -hmm. Now, the seminary itself is pretty unique in uh, in Ukraine. And you just mentioned that people are thinking about faith. They're thinking about religion. Most Ukrainians practice Orthodox Christianity. Um, about 78% of adults, according to a Pew Research survey from 2015, showed that. And compared to the rest of the world, you know, Ukraine has the third largest population of Orthodox Christians after Russia and Ethiopia. Now, only about 2% of adults in Ukraine practice Protestant Christianity. Did that in any way 
impact the service that you and trainees from the Ukrainian Baptist Seminary um, that you provided to displaced Ukrainians in Poland or to Ukrainians who are picking up pieces of their life in Lviv? Well, um, first of all, a history lesson is helpful. Um, until 1991, Ukraine was part of the Soviet Union, and so really it was an atheistic country. There was very little church. Um, there are a few people who are um, Orthodox, certainly, but the number of Protestant or evangelical Christians is an extremely small number. So the seminary is um, affiliated with the Baptist Association, evangelical or Protestant, as we would say. Mm -hmm. And um, But the services that it offers for the refugees is open to anyone who's in need. It doesn't um, have any kind of test about who can come in and be helped. And um, since the refugee crisis ended, the seminary has started another important program that's called the We Care Centers, and they had alumni around Ukraine where they would send food and clothing, and these have developed into what we call We Care Centers, where people who are in need could come in to the center and get what they need, maybe diapers or building supplies to rebuild their home. Um, and they receive some counseling, some training. Um, and these We Care Centers are currently in 14 of the cities, and they're hoping to grow throughout this year. Mm -hmm. So as they provide for these basic needs, the things that, that people um, require sort of in the day-to-day, -day, would you say that the way that uh, they approach sharing faith is it's kind of an open door like you walk through if if you'd like to know more sort of approach is it you know I, I can see how people might think that it's um you know that it might be more more pressure mm. potentially excellent well we are told in scripture that always treat people with gentleness and respect so if somebody has questions, which many people do, we're there to answer questions. We're there to offer prayer and support, but it's never in a, a forceful way. It's never, um, if somebody says, no, thank you for prayer, we say, that's fine, no problem. Mm -hmm. um, so you answer questions, and a lot of people have questions, we've learned. Mm -hmm. Now, when you were doing that training, um, you were training students and alumni of the Ukrainian Baptist Theological Seminary. Um, what were some of the, the very specific lessons that you and other instructors shared with them about the, the work that they were needing to do in, in the sort of immediate situation? Um, as I said, one of the most effective things we train is what to say and what not to say. Mm -hmm. It's kind of human instinct to say, oh, I know how you feel. Well, you really don't. <laughs> mm -hmm. So we warn people, don't say, I know how you feel. Um, even if this person is sharing a story that is similar to one that maybe somebody in your family has had, don't share your own family's story, but listen to theirs. Mm -hmm. That's how you help them heal and process. So is the listening then quite a lot of just being quiet? It is. Um, and in that quiet time, I mean, I think that for many people, that can feel very awkward. 
I mean, what do you do with yourself as you are as you are being quiet and listening to another person? Well, that's where the training as a, an attorney is helpful because as we take depositions, we listen to what the witness says and we understand the, how that impacts the case. Well, it's very similar when we're counseling um, a victim of a trauma is you listen to what they have experienced and what is really still underlying their concerns. Mm -hmm. And then you... It, if you can address that with prayer, it helps them to heal. Mm -hmm. Now, how do you approach people you know, to offer your listening? So you know, what does that initial sort of uh, you know, interaction look like? Well, first of all, as we approach from the emotional aspect and that is offering information, offering support. After, for example, if you have a tornado come through, there would be a trash pickup at a certain time. And if you are someone who has gathered all the information, here's where you can go for your insurance resources. Here's when the trash pickup is going to – you offer support emotionally first. And then people see that you're a chaplain, mm -hmm. and then they may ask you questions or may – or you can simply ask somebody, were you home when the tornado hit? And about 20 or 30 minutes later, they'll stop talking. Okay, and so that is the opening then, is really to ask a, a question. And how long do these quote-unquote sessions usually take? Well, it really varies. If somebody is a lot on their mind, you know, no life is perfect. We call it the storm before the storm. Nor, no life is perfect. And so these people often have an issue that they're facing and then the storm hits. And so you have to help some people through more things than other. I know my husband one time had a gentleman who told him all about being a soldier in Vietnam. And so that took most of an afternoon. Mm -hmm. Now, as you are looking at uh, the work that you've done, after 15 years of witnessing you know, humanity sort of broken down in these situations, is there anything that's changed for you? I would say it has increased my faith and my hope because I've watched people heal. Um, and I really attribute that to the prayer and the hope. Um, I've watched people who are broken get hope. And when you have all your belongings literally at the curb and then you hear somebody suddenly realize that their emotional and spiritual care has been satisfied, that they are strong because of their faith, then you realize that the things that can be taken away in an instant aren't what matters in life. It's the other things that really matter. Last question. Do you plan to go back to Ukraine? We would like to go back very much. Um, we certainly believe in the work that the seminary is doing, and I'm honored to be part of the UPF board now. Um, I believe very much in the work that UPF is doing um, and am honored to support them helping the people on the ground there. Suzanne Galvin is an attorney at Thompson Coburn and a FEMA-trained volunteer crisis counselor. She serves as a board member of the Ukraine Partnership Foundation, a nonprofit based here in the St. Louis area. Suzanne, thank you for talking with us today. Thank you, Elaine.
This episode was produced by Maya Norfleet. Our audio engineer is Aaron Doerr. Our production intern is Avery Rogers. This podcast was mixed and edited by Aaron. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Our podcast proudly supports St. Louis artists by using music from Life Creative Group. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com.